0: Hi there, it's Stephen Abitel. This week, I took advantage of the warm temps and got out into the woods to see what spring was creating. To my delight, ramps, or wild leeks, are emerging from the hillsides. If you are lucky, you may see them coming to your farmer's market soon, and you can try your hand at a delicious ramp pesto. In honor of the start of spring foraging season, we're re-releasing one of my favorite episodes of Root Words, Foraging. I find a lot of rejuvenation and food from foraging and would like to see the practice available to more people. If you are a landowner, please consider allowing people to access the land for hunting, fishing, foraging, and recreation. If someone comes to your door to ask permission, please be open to the conversation. There are some important things in life that cannot be found in a grocery store or pharmacy. And if you don't have a necessary reason, consider not posting your land. I hope you enjoy this episode and thanks for listening. Welcome to Root Words, a podcast that explores agriculture and cooking's role in connecting us to our landscape and our communities. I'm Stephen Abitel. Root Words is a collaboration between Vermont Farmers Food Center, Shrewsbury Agricultural Education and Arts Foundation, and many other community members. The project began in 2017 and was made possible by support from the National Endowment for the Humanities, as well as from this community. Throughout this podcast, you're going to be hearing stories from people around the Rutland County region in the heart of Vermont, a region rich in agriculture, family farms, a region that's a pastoral working landscape. These stories are going to be each little windows into what a regional food system really looks like on the community level. We're excited to introduce you to some passionate folks working with the land and with food and bringing communities together. So please pull up a chair and enjoy. Before there was home delivery, before there were supermarkets, before there was refrigeration, even before people cooked their food, People fed themselves and their families by foraging their landscape. Collecting food, medicine, or provisions from our environment is perhaps the closest we can get to our food source and the places we live. Much of the world continues a healthy relationship to their home through foraging. And even here in the U.S., foraging is having a re-emergence, spurred by revivals of tradition and quests for self-sufficiency and connection to one's landscape even in urban environments. On this episode, I head into the woods with my brother Pete and connect with a few inspired foraging folks. Walter Collins?
1: I'm Walter Everett Collins IV, and uh, we try to be fully self-sustainable. I mean, we like to know what we're eating, what we're putting into our bodies, and, and specifically, you know, how it's grown, where it's grown, or how it's raised and Tina Pease.
2: Hi, so I'm Tina Pease, and I live in the Mad River Valley in Vermont, and I'm a food photographer and food stylist.
0: Vermont got a lot of rain this past spring, and that meant a lot of mushrooms. My mushroom knowledge was pretty limited until my brother Pete connected me with the Vermont Foragers group on Facebook, and we started going out to see our hunting grounds in a whole new way what are what do we just come upon up on this hilltop describe this place we found a nice little honey hall of black trumpets a good spot to uh, remember for next year perhaps even later this year because it looks like they are continuously coming up yeah we probably walked oh yeah you got a bucket <laughs> we probably walked yeah, how, how much how, how, how like what do you think distance wise where we're kind of finding a vein of these things scattered good I mean, this is like a 100-yard kind of patch, it seems like. Uh, At least a good percentage. Um, It wasn't very wide, though. It may have been
2: 20
0: 20 yards wide. Um, And I'm looking down at my feet. Uh, Not anything usually more than, I don't know, maybe 10 yards out. (laughs) And that's stretching it. Every once in a while I have to stop and look around and look at the trees, too, to see if anything cool is growing on them definitely looking at the, uh, the land in a different way. The Vermont Foragers Group is a community of over 11,000 who share photos, identifying information, recipes, and fungi-related memes from time to time. With so many folks posting photos from their last forage, it's like a real-time phenological forecast, and you have a sense of what you might want to look for and learn more about on your next forage. Now, I wouldn't suggest eating a mushroom you found because someone on the internet told you to, but a good foraging community can get you in the right ballpark. So you can use your own observations and resources for identification. Ooh, just a lot of yellow. Ooh, a lot of yellow. Ooh, boy, oh yeah, oh yeah. This looks good, this looks like. This looks like a chanterelle patch. <laughs> nice. So exciting. Just find the forest productive here in the end of July. I could see why this could be, I've only been out here about an hour. I can see that this could become addictive. It's a way of life. I'm like seeing a little flash of pattern or color, and I just want to go skipping off through the forest towards it. Vermont Forages Group moderator, Walter Collins, gave me a lot of guidance this past season, so I called him up to learn more about his foraging practice.
1: I'm Walter Everett Collins IV, and uh, actually born and raised in the, in the city. Well, I had grandfather who lived in the, in the country in Rehoboth, Massachusetts, and I'd spend a lot of time there. And he always had us in the woods. He'd always take us kids up in the woods and he'd teach us, you know, what we could eat, what we couldn't eat from real basic mushrooms like black trumpets and chanterelles and porcinis. God, what else? Uh, Lobster mushrooms and uh, turkey tails for teas and medicines and stuff like that. You know, when I was a kid, I was really interested in it. And uh, I just found it fascinating. And then, of course, as you grow up, you kind of, you know you fall out of that stuff for a while and you do this and that but I know you know when I started raising my family and everything like that we wanted to get back to the land really to be honest about it it was after the financial collapse in 2008 and uh, I just just I seen what had happened to me and, and so many of my friends and I wanted to change my life back around and wanted to start raising everything for myself. So I didn't have to rely on anything and anybody and got right back into it. I, I wasn't on the internet. I never really believed in it. I just barely got internet service just five, six years ago for my daughter for, for high school. And then I found Facebook and I found these groups and we, we made these groups up and uh, I've just dove right back in head first, just, learning as much as I can, doing as much as we could for ourselves and really, you know, living off the land as much as possible.
0: So I, I found you through my, yeah, my experience with um, Vermont Foragers Facebook group, which I've learned a ton from this, this summer, spring and summer. And, um, and yeah, that's how that's how I came across uh you and the and all the kind of mentorship it seems like you're giving in that group. So could you talk a little right. bit about like what that group is and what your yeah, role
1: yeah. role is? Yeah. So, when I discovered Vermont foragers, it was pretty much kind of like what you're you're saying there, you know, we were already doing stuff in the woods ourselves, of course, you know like we'd had been doing for the last decade. I mean, the group I thought even for me was essential in helping me learn things. I didn't know about it, like aborted entelomas. Like I had never really heard of those shrimp of the woods there is their common name. And, and, you know, I became a part of the group as a moderator and I truly try to spend as much time on there as I can. We have a very busy life as it is, but it's just very enjoyable. And I like the community because so, so many different groups, you know, they, they take on a role. People, get sarcastic with each other i just i find vermont foragers to be a kind place and just a genuine spot and i've gotten to meet so many people in you know in everyday life in real life by coming up and and visiting with us or saying hello and you know just just getting to meet folks but uh it it pushes me even further to learn more and more because i want to be as helpful as i can and informative as i can when, when others ask questions. I think that all we can do every day is constantly learn, constantly learn, constantly learn. You know, it, it, anyone can benefit from being a member of Vermont Foragers. You know, be, there's people there that can answer questions about West Coast mushrooms or Southern mushrooms or, you know, even other countries. Um, I'm pretty sure we have some, um, members from you know europe and stuff like that and they're always really informative and some of the stuff they're used to eating over there is stuff that a lot of us wouldn't think of eating here but Mm. they know how to process it they know what to do and it's just incredible you know i i love sharing recipes i always have a little input of course one of my go-tos is i just love deep fried mushrooms in any way shape or form so i'm always i'm always advocating for that but there's so many other ways to serve different mushrooms, Horicium species. Um, they lend themselves really well to like seafood dishes, like crab cakes and stuff like that. And to be perfectly honest, if you made crab cakes with like a Horicium coralloids or a Horicium erinaceus or an americanus, you'd be hard pressed to tell the difference from that in real seafood, which also leans it very beneficial to like vegans and vegetarians. Because they can get those same flavors, you know with without you know going against what they love it and what they do,
0: so to go back a bit, just what is foraging generally and and I guess what does it look like t- to you or how do you you personally forage?
1: so for me i I mean foraging is all encompassing. it's you know it's sourcing your food from the wild, whether it be hunting or gathering you know, collecting, it's, it's really all encompassing, just bringing more to the table without having to go to the grocery stores, really, to me.
0: Just can you list some of the stuff that you, you do with your family to, to provide?
1: Oh gosh. So we try to be fully self-sustainable. We absolutely buy grain and feed for our animals, but for the last decade, especially We've raised all the meat that we utilize in our house through, you know, a sustainable homestead farm. You know, the animals are born here. They're raised here. You know, they're, they're at the end result, you know, they're slaughtered here. We can all of our vegetables, you know, our fruits, our jellies, our pickles, you know, all that stuff for the year. I mean, we like to know what we're eating, what we're, putting into our bodies and and specifically, you know, how it's grown, where it's grown or how it's raised is all very important to us.
0: Foraging is interesting because it's always kind of tapped into the really uh, direct um, kind of environment and weather patterns and what's going on right now. Um, could you just kind of do a little bit of description of kind of each kind of Vermont season of foraging? Like what is there in the different periods? No, rather- like what's it- yeah. Like
1: what's available at, at any given time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it really, you know, it, it starts in spring, I would say. Ramp season is my absolute favorite. I will say that. I mean, we're blessed up here in early, early spring. So we'll be out, you know, maple sugaring. And, you know, you'll be out there in the sn- snow's knee deep when you start. And then by the time you're done sugaring real early spring, when you're out there in the maple yards and and especially in the right environments, you'll see they'll start popping up real, real early. man. And, And ramps are just delicious. But then, you know, we get into the plant side of it, Oh, but there's just hundreds and thousands of medicinal plants out there. I mean, there's a use for everything really in the forest. Um, Early spring, some of the first very common fungi we'll see would be uh, Cereoporous or also known as pheasant back mushrooms. Um, Then you will see the Morcella species, the morels coming out. And then you also at that time have the Gyrometras, which a lot of people like to compare, or they commonly call false morels. It starts with those three pre- predominantly in early spring and then it slowly starts moving on into like chanterelles and early spring oysters um pulmonaria species yeah, let me think As the summer comes into swing you know right around you know late June I'd say the second third week of June we'll start seeing the chanterelles popping up everywhere starting in southern Vermont and you can kind of track your location through the group if you know say someone post uh say they post the first morel of the year they could be lower you know down in southern vermont and you kind of know you know it's going to track its way up through as the weather as the weather comes up my favorite time is late summer going into fall because there's just everything it's almost impossible to list around July 4th you have your medicinals like uh ganoderma tsugi which is the reishi mushroom or it's not true reishi but if it's our reishi in the north that'll start popping out on hemlocks the chanterelles will be in full flush the ruslas are starting to to really grow you know and then you got the lactarius species the milk caps late summer you know going into early fall is probably the most exciting time because as you walk you'll just see so much going on in the woods and then as fall progresses and we start getting some cooler weather which this year is a little weird not having really even a frost to speak of up here yet and then you get into when you get into the oak stands you get into the really popular the hen of the woods and you get you know the chicken of the woods and all these there's also you know, Berkeley polypores, uh, black staining polypores. There's just it's just so much out there. And even right now is a good time. I could walk up in my woods later. Because today's our day off and we we'll go look at our herissium logs that we know where they are. Those are the white coral mushrooms. And, you know, they, they love this time of year also. And, and And plants like raspberries and blueberries lend themselves to multiple different things. They both produce delicious fruits. But again, this time of year in the fall, when their leaves are changing red, their leaves um, are great for teas. So you'll pick the red leaves off the blueberries and, you know, the colored purplish leaves off the raspberries. You dry them out and we make teas. Now the blueberry leaf tea has actually been shown through the Food and Drug Administration to help with cognitive function and people with dementia and stuff like that. And then in winter, a lot of people, you know, when the trees have lost all their leaves, that's when a lot of people like to go out and look for uh, chaga, because mm. it's, it's it's a lot easier to see on the trees.
0: Some, something I've come across though, especially with the mushrooms, uh, people often have, people are pretty, that don't, that haven't done it before, are pretty reticent to to even go out there and try and learn. Um, about them and and yeah. so so what would you say just if you could speak a bit to i guess culturally like how we think about the safety of mushrooms and and just safety in
1: general when foraging
0: like what's what should folks know I think
1: that a touch of what people like to call mycophobia is a good thing a, a slight fear now I always tell people don't be afraid don't be as but being cautious is is you know it's is a great rule of thumb with anything. Because I I do find that people do fear the mushrooms, the fungi, more than they fear plants. With getting sick and stuff, you know, we'll see a lot of, of new members, you know, handling mushrooms with gloves on, and people will tell them to wash their hands, which is always a good idea no matter what. But there, I, I think a touch of fear is good, but I think the most important thing you can do with identifying mushrooms, even if they're the simplest ones in the world, is to be sure. And when I say be sure, I don't even mean going on to our group and and asking us what it is and getting an answer. After you get the answer, we don't like to say it's edible. I don't like to say it's edible unless it's truly a no-brainer and there's no other way for someone to be harmed. I like to give them a name and say, look it up, you know, research it. You know what I'm saying? Make your own decisions and and even um a good edible mushroom let's say uh, this is a great example with me for example chicken of the woods so porous species i simply can't consume chicken of the woods there's just nothing i can do i've tried it a dozen ways and each time i've gotten cramps and and stomach hurt and stuff like that whereas my whole family can eat them they love them so everybody's a little bit different you don't know how you're going to react to something. So even with a great edible mushroom, I'd always like to say, eat a little teeny bit. You know what I'm saying? Say, say, try an ounce, an ounce of it, and then give yourself, you know, twelve hours. See how your body reacts to it. Because anyone can have an ill reaction. Anyone can.
0: Now I just thinking about uh, you know a lot of folks getting into the forest to to, to do this to forage. Uh, I, I am interested in what are your thoughts or like, I don't know, just uh, j- thoughts on and, and, or, and, or like community guidelines um, on, uh, on the sustain- su- well, the, 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 sustainability aspect of, of foraging. So,
1: you know, so there's two whole schools here, man. Sustainability is the most essential thing. Now I would say sustainability plays more a role in the harvesting of plants than fungi okay so that's where if you just go down and pick plants and you're digging bulbs or you're taking fiddleheads and instead of when you see a nice group of fiddleheads say there's six little fiddleheads sitting there take you know half or 30 percent, leave the other ones there to unfurl and build the energy back up in the crown for the next year if you go there and you do what I've seen people do is take a knife and cut everything off, that plant is not going to survive. No matter what anyone says, it's not going to survive. If you take all the ramps, and this is a, this is a huge one, if you pull all those ramp bulbs out of an area, they will not come back. A ramp takes a very long time to grow. It takes five to seven years from seed to produce a, a sustainable bulb. And they produce, reproduce by bulb division and seed drops. The seeds for these plants drop right under the plant, so you'll find them in clumps. Mushrooms, on the other hand, run with a mycelium network. So the mycelium network is under, you say, it's in a log. It's in the cambium layer of the log, or in a hardwood log. It's in the heart, and it comes out through those cracks and branches. So by picking the fruit on on a mushroom, you're only picking the fruit the cambium i mean the the mycelium is going to refruit again the following year okay today i see what happens when when people you know overtax an ecosystem for their own benefit and it's it's not good it's it's it it doesn't help anything the, the you can get the same result but it will take you longer just to do it sustainably. You can, instead of going into one spot, say it's an acre or two or a hundred acres, which up here, we have hundreds of acres of ramps right up the road from me. And if you go into an acre or two and you try and fill that bag as quickly as you can so you can get out there and get to the cellar, you can get to market or the restaurant or whoever or whatever, you're you're doing damage. If you take your time, you you see a clump of, of ramps you know, you take 30%, it's going to take you a little bit longer, but the end result is they're going to be there forever. Uh,
0: I guess one of my last questions on here is uh, just kind of a general, like, what would you like um, anyone listening to this, right? It's kind of a, just a general sort of audience. Uh, what would you like folks to know about foraging and about the Vermont forest and landscape?
1: The Vermont foresting landscape is changing, and it's terrifying. We're losing trees that are host trees, um, elms to Dutch elm disease. Um, So morels, predominantly, you know, years and decades back, were found around elms. Of course, with the elms leaving, you know, they're also found around ash trees, white ash, brown ash. They're also under attack from the Emerald Ash Borer. So our forests are changing and through logging and stuff like that, it's not always the best thing to do. Um, I think anything people can do that like to forage, don't just forage, think about the future, Um, spread seeds, plant trees. You can never plant too many trees. I hate to say this, become a member of the Arbor Day Foundation or whatever you want. It doesn't matter to me. Just plant trees, think about the future, You know, think about the landscape, you know, be aware of your surroundings. Um, To me, foraging is more than producing food. It's a way to get out, to explore, to see things you may not see every day. Um, Picking a mushroom or a plant is the last thing on my mind when I leave for the day into the woods. It's really the adventure. It's what will we see, you know, what will we come across, what kind of animals will we see today. I mean, you're sharing the woods with not only other people, hunters, trappers, fishermen, you know, I mean, everyone's out there, especially this time of year right now. We have multiple seasons overlapping We have the best time of the year to find Horisium, the best time of the year to find Grifola frondosa, which is hen of the woods. But we also have the best time of the year to hunt grouse and squirrel and white-tailed deer and black bear and moose season. And these are all together right now. So we're all out there. And I think it's good to be aware of your surroundings, to not just walk aimlessly, but to When you're walking through the woods to look in front of you, look above you, look into the trees, look below the trees, you know, and and see what's in front of you. Just don't get what I what I like to call, you know, forager vision, which is when you're just staring at the ground right in front of where you're walking, looking for what you're looking for. You know, be aware of your surroundings, be aware of others that are in the woods with you. You know, be safe. You know, I think that's important. And even though our state doesn't require any type of safety clothing when you're out in the woods, I would like to say that if you're a hunter or, you know, a gatherer or anything, just to always remember that it's easier to see you. If you have something bright on, you know, if you're bringing your your pets with you and, you, you know, your, your friends, you know, put something bright on them so people can see them so that, you know, they don't blend in. It's a great time of year and it can be a dangerous time of year if you're not cautious.
0: Hunting and foraging for wild food really reveals the importance of access to land. Community gardens are a nice solution in towns for folks that might not have access to land or tools for growing their food, but deer need much more space, and a porcini needs specific wild conditions to grow. Alternative solutions for land access don't quite fit. We heard a little about the struggle for land access from Chief Don Stevens of the Nulhegan Band of the Abenaki in Episode 10, Indigenous Food Sovereignty in Vermont. For many Vermonters, land access is important for maintaining traditions and connecting to community and landscape, and for many, the access is out of reach. While researching this episode, I came across Tina Pease, a forager, food photographer, and food stylist in the Mad River Valley. Tina is raising the issues around who does and does not have access to land for food and medicine.
2: So what I'm learning is, um, you know, for me, so I'm Filipino American, Asian American, and I don't know a lot of Asian Americans that that forage, but I know they exist, but I I don't personally know a lot of them. And I'm just starting to like, learn through like the BIPOC community here in Vermont, just different people that are into it. So there's someone I follow online called um, Black Forager. She's really a huge inspiration for me and a lot of people. And, and really she gets into, you know, speaking to land ownership and land stewardship and, you know, land being stolen and just how that took us out of or away from um, being able to connect in that way. So I think there's so many times where people are like, oh, just stick with the food and stop talking about the politics of it. But for me, it really is a political thing. And I'm, you know, as I'm learning so much right now about black indigenous and people of color and my own connection to my Asian American culture and, you know, herbalism and things that I am interested in in that realm. Um, I think people need to realize that forging is for everyone and that that everyone has the right to do it and that it was taken away from them. It was a right that was taken away
0: Tina is a member of Vermont Relief Collective, a network by and for Black, Indigenous, and people of color advancing racial equity in land, environment, agriculture, and foodways. Like a mycelial network, groups like Vermont Foragers and Vermont Relief Collective are connecting lots of sources of energy, resources, and information in the area, enriching the landscape. We'll be connecting again with Tina Pease and more Vermont Relief Collective folks on future episodes of Root Words. This episode was produced by Stephen Abitel. Special thanks to Walter Collins, Tina Pease, and the Vermont Foragers community for ID support and inspiration. To learn more, check out Vermont Foragers on Facebook and Tina Pease on Instagram at Vermont Food Photo. You can learn more about Vermont Relief Collective at www.vtrelief spelled R-E-L-E-A-F, collective.org. For a real treat, and this is highly recommended, check out Alexis Nicole on Instagram or Facebook at Black Forager. Our musical themes are by the Salt Ash Serenaders. We are a project of the Vermont Farmers Food Center and sage. Thank you all for listening and for being a part of our local food system. We'll catch you next time on Root Words.